Oh, oh, oh. 
Five minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nahum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday, Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program. Ich 
The live version of that song is even better when uh, Sherwood just uh, speeds up that uh, entire melody. It's just incredible. Anyway, there it is, uh, one of the Nagunim of the Boston Rebbe made so popular by the great Cantor Sherwood Goffin, who we we certainly are feeling his uh, feeling the loss uh, at this point. Uh, yesterday, his funeral at Lincoln Square Synagogue in New York City, and we miss the Chaz, the great Cantor Sherwood Goffin. J.M. and the M. on a Friday morning before the Hatov selection. Lachadodi from Derek Achim. Machol Przanski with his sorry. Benahapoch, hey, it's still Adar. New York Boys Choir, the Adidim Choir with Good Shabbos. Lachadodi done by Shia Rubenstein and Regesh. Modani opening things up. And we say good morning. It's a Friday on this April 5th, the 29th day in Adar 2, the year 5779. It's Erev Shabbos Parshas Tazria, Erev Shabbos Parshas Achodesh. Erev Rosh Chodesh Nisan. Rosh Chodesh begins tonight. We'll start saying Yalaviyavo and uh, doing all the traditional additions for Rosh Chodesh starting tonight. A one-day Rosh Chodesh. Uh, one day is Shabbos. Candle lighting time in the New York area, 7.04. 7.04, your candle lighting time. 40 degrees, afternoon rain today with a high temperature of 44. Then rain tonight, plan accordingly with a low of 40. That's right. If you're going to the, uh, if you're going to the Turkel Shlom Zachar, 
that uh, Jamie and Yoey and family will be celebrating tonight. It's supposed to be 100% rain, so plan accordingly. Don't don't avoid going. Go for sure and participate in the amazing Simcha. Just make sure you're dressed properly. Low temperature of 40. Tomorrow for Shabbos, morning clouds, afternoon sun, a high, 66 degrees. You shall lime at 58. We're at 40 here in New York City as we say good morning at JM and the AM. It's Friday. You know what that means? It means that um, Malcolm Holmline will join us at 740. We'll do the weekly update. Uh, you also know that um, Rabbi Yudin will join us at 815 with the Torah portions of the week. And uh, we'll wrap things up at 9 o'clock Eastern time and then uh, roll into an amazing and incredible day on the Nahum Siegel Network. We'll give you all the details coming up if you keep it right here. Plenty more coming up. It's JM in the AM on a Friday with Eitan Freilich.
I'm 
Dedicate that to Film Guy, who recommended Yehia Chodesh Hazev for the uh, Erev Rosh Chodesh edition of JM in the AM. That is from uh, Mayor Sherman, of course. Uh, before that, you heard Aishas Chayel done by Shlaimi Kaufman. Yerach Miel with Bishamru off of the Secret of Shabbos album. Yehuda Green, Am Mekadashe. Aishas Chayel done by Shim Kramer. And Eitan Freilich opened up the set with Lahodos. Here at JM in the AM. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos, on this April 5th, the 29th of Adar 2. It is Erev Rosh Chodesh Nisan. Parshas Achodesh tomorrow. 
Uh, also, of course, the regular Parsha of uh, Tazria. Rosh Chodesh Nisan begins tonight. It'll be a one-day Rosh Chodesh. Candle lighting tonight, 7.04. 7.04, your candle lighting time. 40 degrees outside, afternoon rain and a high of 44. Rain tonight, low 40, and tomorrow morning clouds and afternoon sun with a high temperature of 66. Right now, 58 in Yerushalayim, 40 here in New York. As we say good morning at JM in the AM. Feel free to uh, check in on the uh, NSN app. In fact, the rabbi down in Atlanta says good Shabbos and happy Chodesh. Harishon b'chodshe hashana. Nice. Uh, it is, in fact, the, the Chodesh Rishon Bechad Sheh Hashanah. Uh, thank you, Rabbi, down in Atlanta, and send our best to everybody. Uh, Rabbi Yudin is being uh, honored for his 50 years at Shomrei Torah. That's taking place this coming Sunday night. Those of you who want to donate and participate in the... Um, in the celebration, or... If you want to donate in honor of Rabbi and Mrs. Yudin, go to yudintribute.org, yudintribute.org, and that happens this coming Sunday night, and we say mazal tov from all of us here at JM in the AM. NCSY is getting set for uh, an amazing Chol Hamoid, Mordechai Shapiro, and a full Koshla Pesach menu down there Monday Chol Hamoid. Tuesday Chol Hamoid, a full Koshla Pesach menu, and Wednesday Chol Hamoid, a partial Koshla Pesach menu. Go to ncsygreatadventure.com, ncsygreatadventure.com for all the info, for everything you need to know about what's happening Cholamoe down at Six Flags. Should be a lot of fun. Let's hope for good weather. And let's hope a good time will be had by all. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio. Around the world on the web at NachumSegal.com, on the NachumSegal Network, and of course on the beloved NSN app. Galay, it's on the background. There are news from Israel coming up. Weekly update with Malcolm Honline, 7.40 Eastern Time this morning here at JMAM. It is the Friday before the Israeli election. Lots to talk about, and of course a lot of big news this week, which we'll discuss. Rabbi Yudin, we mentioned the uh, 50-year tribute. He'll be uh, speaking to us about Parshas Tazria and Parshas Chodesh coming up at 8.15 this morning here at JM in the AM. Galei Tzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast for a Friday is next. We say Boker Tov from JM in the AM. Galei Tzal, Asha Ashtayim, Shalom Rav, Kanoam Aviram, Mimma Shekoreh Akshav. Arbaa yamim labkhirot v'rashay kacholavan v'alikud yotzim l'shetach. ראש הממשלה בנימין נתניהו יצא בשעה האחרונה אל תומכי הליכוד מחוץ למעונו הרשמי בירושלים. מוקדם יותר היום סייר יושב ראש כחול לבן בני גנץ בצומת בילו הסמוך לקריית עקרון. שר הפנים אריה דרעי הורה לפעול לביטול אזרחותו של עבדאללה חיג'לה שעזב את הארץ לפני כשש שנים והצטרף לשורות ארגון דאעש. זאת בעקבות המלצת שירות הביטחון הכללי. אמש אישר בית המשפט למנוע את כניסתו של חיג'לה לארץ. בית משפט השלום בחיפה שחרר למעצר בית את אחת המטפלות שנעצרה בחשד להתעללות בתינוקות בפעוטון בעיר. כתבנו קובי מנדל מוסר שהמשטרה ביקשה לערער על ההחלטה. הדיון בעניין המטפלת השנייה טרם החל. חשד לחשיפה לחצבת בשני קניונים בשפלה. 
משרד הבריאות מוסר כי בימים שני ושלישי השבוע קונים ששהו בקניון עזריאלי ברמלה בין 10 בבוקר ל-4 אחר הצהריים נחשפו לחולי חצבת. כמו כן, בשלישי בערב השוהים בקניון עופר ברחובות בין 7 וחצי ל-9 נחשפו גם הם לחולי חצבת. משרד הבריאות קורא לציבור שנחשף למחלה לגשת ללשכת הבריאות על מנת לברר את הצורך בחיסון. ממשלת בריטניה ביקשה מהאיחוד האירופי לדחות את הברקזיט עד לסוף חודש יוני. זאת כדי לאפשר למחוקקים הבריטים להגיע להבנות בנושא להסכם הפרישה. אם הבריטים יגיעו להסכם לפני התאריך המיועד, תקוצר ההערכה. ידיעה שמסרה כתבתנו נועה מועלם. תחזית מזג האוויר היום יהיה מעונן חלקית עם ירידה קלה בטמפרטורות. ייתכן גשם מקומי בצפון הארץ. ואלה זמני כניסת השבת, פרשת תזריעה ופרשת החודש, שבת ראש חודש ניסן. בירושלים ב-6.25, בתל אביב ב-6.41, בחיפה ב-6.32, ובבאר שבע תיכנס השבת ב-6.43. ואלה זמני צאת השבת בערב, במוצאי שבת, בירושלים ב-7.39, בתל אביב ובחיפה, בחיפה ובבאר שבע תצא השבת ב-7.41. ואלה החדשות שעורכת לי עמרם אילת. שבת שלום לכם.
Jam in the AM Friday morning, Erev Shabbos. Yeah, we started the hour with Sherwood Goffin, of course, of blessed memory. Yom Shekulo Shabbos, Adon Alam, Kel Adon. And we opened up the hour with the song that opened up the 7 o'clock hour for many, many, many years here at JM in the AM. The late, great Norman Lester, when he had the Neshama program, Fridays at 7 a.m., he would begin the Neshama program each and every week with Sherwood Goffin's Neshama. So that's how we opened up the 7 o'clock hour this morning here at JM in the AM. And um, I had the opportunity last night to speak to Rabbi Riskin, who, of course, spent the entire day with the Goffin family. And we were speaking about the greatness of uh, Cantor Sherwood Goffin and remembering him fondly, as so many thousands around the Jewish world are doing in the aftermath of his passing. JM and the AM, don't forget you can comment on the uh, NSN app. Go to the NSN Nahum Siegel Network app for Android and iPhone and comment away. Uh, a weekly update with Malcolm Holmline is coming up. We'll do that at 7.40 Eastern time this morning here at JM and the AM. Have the weekly update for everybody. Don't forget that our friends at Aaron's Casino Farms have an incredible and massive Passover mega center right next door. It is massive. It is amazing. And it's got every product and every brand you can imagine. I don't even know. I don't even know how else to say it. They've got it all, literally. Um, so check out Aaron's Passover Mega Center, like I'll be doing later today. Also, our friends at Aaron's in West Orange, New Jersey. Don't forget, four percent of your purchases from Nata Pesach is donated to Kushner when you use your uh, your Kushner School loyalty card at Aaron's uh, in um, West Orange, New Jersey. And um, keep in mind that Aaron's in West Orange has amazing takeout, an incredible meat department, unbelievable produce, delicious fresh seafood, and a great sushi department. And um, they've got plenty more as well. But just check out those five departments and you will be extremely impressed by Aaron's in West Orange, New Jersey. That I can guarantee you. JM in the AM, 17 minutes after the hour. Shlomo Katz is next here at JM in the AM. Shalom, Rosa, 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 Shalom, Rosa,
Shut up. 
Eitan Katz. Before that, Shlomo Katz. Friday morning broadcast with Kendall Lighting at 7.04 here in New York. Thanks for joining us on a JM the AM Friday, everybody. Much appreciated. Rabbi Yudin coming up at 8.15. We're 10 minutes away, well, a little bit more from our weekly update. We'll try to go through the news of the week. And boy, there's been a lot of news this week. Plus, of course, there's an election. Are you familiar with that? An election in the state of Israel coming up on Tuesday? Yeah, it should be interesting. As um, Israel goes to the polls this coming uh, a Tuesday, we'll see what happens and what the future brings and holds. Should be very interesting. JM and the AM Friday. More coming up with David Dardashti.
מלחמות קשות, רדיפות כואבות, בכל זמן, בכל מקום. עברנו את פרעה, נעבור גם את זה. עלילות שקרים, צוררים קשים, שרוצים רק להרוס. עברנו את פרעה, נעבור גם את זה. אז נצא כולנו יחד לרחובות העיר, ניקח אוויר וניצח. מלכים גדולים, מדינות ענק, אימפיריות כה גדולות, כמעט שנעלמו, ואנחנו עוד כאן. חלפי שנים, מעטים ורבים, ואין ספר של ניסים, עם ישראל חי, אנחנו עוד כאן. אנחנו עוד
JM in the AM with Ohad and Raka Kadosh Baruch Hu. Simcha Liner had Navar. You heard Joy Yikra from David Dardashti. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos, Erev Rosh Chodesh here at JM in the AM. Candlelighting in New York at 7.04. Weekly update, Malcolm Honline joins us a couple of minutes from now. It's happening here at JM in the AM. Mazel tov to Mayor Simcha Weitzner, whose Ufruf is tomorrow in Brooklyn. And Mazel tov to Simcha Florence, whose uh, Ufruf is in Brooklyn tomorrow. Mazel tov from all of us here at JM in the AM. Uh, also, as uh, many of you heard yesterday, Yoey and uh, Jamie Turkel. Jamie and Yoey are celebrating the birth of a brand new baby boy, their Bukhar. Uh Jamie spent a lot of time with us here building the Nachum Siegel Network, and uh, it's so wonderful to announce the big simcha. The Shlom Zachar is tonight. Bezrat Hashem. And we say mazel tov from all of us here at JM in the AM. More coming up, including the weekly update. Keep it right here at JM in the AM. Moshav Ben, 
Lechadodi. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos. Erev Rosh Chodesh. That's right. A one-day Rosh Chodesh Nisan coming up. Three Torahs tomorrow. I had a discussion with Rabbi Heber, um, who does our calendaric trivia, you know, at least once or twice a year, as you know. I had a discussion with him. If Vashul has only two Torahs tomorrow, what do they do? Do they read the first two portions from the first Torah and then the uh, Maftir from the third? Or... Uh, do they read uh, two portions from the second Torah? And uh, it was an interesting conversation. It is, in fact, believe it or not, it's, in fact, a discussion and, in some ways, an argument in the um, evolve, uh, evolvement of Jewish law. Um, anyway, I guess consult with your local rabbi would be the best way to put it. Candlelighting at 7.04 here in New York. Uh, don't forget our friends at jewishworldreview.com. They have thousands of articles you can print out before Shabbos and Enjoy over the Shabbos day. Lots about the Israel and the Jewish world. Go to jewishworldreview.com and check it out. Malcolm Honline joins us in a minute. Two weeks from now, he will be in Puerto Vallarta. I mention it because I assume that uh, that this is the last opportunity, basically, a week or two before Pesach, for someone to make a decision to spend Pesach with Malcolm and to go to this unique program that's known as Pesach in Vallarta. Go to PesachInVallarta.com or dial the following number, 786-290-5919. Again, that's 786-290-5919 for information. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us on a Friday morning here for the weekly update. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. No, thank you. We should remind them that Vallarta is with two L's, V-A-L-L-A-R-T-A. I see. People ask me all the time, how do you spell Vallarta? Because <laughs> they think there's a Y in the middle there. I see you've memorized it over the last couple of months, just to make sure you have the information I, I at the ready. <laughs> but please, please, but I, I beg of you, don't change my pronunciation. Don't, no, um, don't Americ- it's the right pronunciation. Don't Americanize it on my airwaves. It's Pesach <laughs> in Vallarta. Pesachinvayalta.com. Okay. Because it ends with an A, right? <laughs> anyway. Big week. Lots of news. An election coming up on Tuesday. We'll start with the news that the remains of uh, Zach Baumel, who um, grew up in Brooklyn at the age of 10, as his uh, classmate Dr. Dietrich reminded us yesterday, at the age of 10, his family made Aliyah, goes to a Hezder Yeshiva and follows the route <clears throat> of so many, and unfortunately does not return uh, from the 1982 Lebanon war. I think the story, even to those who have, <clears throat> excuse me, even to those who were not alive when this happened, because a lot of young people in our community took an interest in this story, I must say, Baruch Hashem, and were fascinated that Israel was able to do this 37 years later. Um, uh, he, he, he was in our thoughts and prayers in some synagogues, literally on a weekly, if not more regular basis for 37 years with the other MIAs. And, of course, we know what happened this week. Malcolm, we, we're, we're so curious about the details. Back in the 80s, and, and you reminded us of this uh, at the very beginning of, of your involvement here with us on the show, um, essentially Lebanon then, as it, I think we could say, still is today, was a proxy of Syria, correct? I mean, today we'd say more Iran. But in those days, Syria was basically calling the shots in that war. Would that be an accurate uh, assessment? It, yes, I think it would be an accurate assessment. And, you talk, and you we're talking specifically the battle at Sultan Yaqub right. and the in the first uh, Lebanon War. And this was in, um, I think he was he abducted on June 11th of 1982. 
And then um, I have to say that to credit the government of Israel and others, and you know that was the reason why I went to Syria to meet Assad, was primarily to try and get the remains of the three uh, and um, to talk about Eli Cohen, but Eli Cohen was a non-starter for them. And uh, Assad denied knowing where they were. And he said, if I had such a riches, you don't think I would trade for it. Uh, there was an investigation done. The Israeli government had long tracked this, and information came out that enabled them to, to identify. But obviously, the circumstances of going in would have been very difficult. You don't risk the lives of others, to, to um, even though the Russian soldiers and others went into this area to to get the um, the remains. And the reason they were able to, this was in the Yarmouk refugee camp near Damascus, and after the ISIS withdrew from the area, then the Syrian and the and Russian soldiers went in. They couldn't go in as long as ISIS was in control. And this meant piecing together the information from others who had fought in the battle and who had information. And I know that Israel did remarkable things trying to get it and to repatriate the, the remains of, uh, of Ali Cohen who was a spy and, and caught by the Assyrians and executed. Uh, and there are many books and uh, even a movie about him. But these three, the, you know, the families were the true heroes. They never for a single day gave up hope. And unfortunately, Mr. Balmo passed away. But Mrs. Balmo uh, is is uh, alive and at least gets to see her son come to Jewish Kvura. Uh, this is, uh, you know, the mother tells us that until... The families never find peace until the loved one is is buried, and this was certainly true. The the dedication, the tireless devotion, traveling all over the world on, and grasping on every straw, and they often spent time in my office uh, and working out of there and with people who work with us who who were um, totally committed to to trying to recover the remains. Israel spent. Millions and millions of dollars on this, and this, uh, and and you know there were criticisms always of the government and saying they they were indifferent or they abandoned this. It, 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 uh, my experience is that it was not true. He, they they were committed all the time. There was somebody assigned as a liaison to these families, and it was replaced as they left the service, uh, the military service. There are <laughs> there are, there are a couple of confusing things here in in terms of the story. The Let's assume for a moment that we take Assad at his word that if he had this type of valuable, you know, uh, chip, you know, he'd he'd be using it to his advantage. That would indicate that once these boys were these boys' remains at this point, we know that they were remains as opposed to them being alive. Once they were um, uh, taken and and buried, it it would indicate that he had no idea where they were buried. Does that make sense that he would not have knowledge of where you know these? Again, what he would consider to be very valuable, uh, you know, commodities would be buried. Would it be possible he wouldn't know where they were? It is possible. Uh, some would say not probable, but certainly possible. And less likely is that Arafat didn't know. If you remember, he returned half the dog chain, uh, and the um, uh, but he refused to to ever. And you know he was approached many times about it as well. So we're and how uh, do you surmise that he got a hold of that because of his close relationship with who? With Assad? No, but they're buried in a refugee, a Palestinian refugee camp. 
No, I understand that. So it could be that no, it could be the Palestinian forces or or others who who took the body. You know, they were seen on a tank, and I brought that picture to to Assad when he said they didn't know uh, from from Sultan Yaqub. It was captured on a tank. There were pictures supposedly in Damascus on a where they were paraded. So it was. There's a lot of sources, possible sources, where they could have gotten the. Uh, a dog tag could have fallen off. It could have, right. um, you know, been taken by somebody who then turned it in. Understood. And so it's Palestinian forces who are then transporting his body to that refugee camp, uh, burying him there. And, and, or, and it could be Syrian forces as well. They were working together. And then on the right. intelligence side, at least the, I mean, I know that we don't get all the information, obviously, but at least based on the articles we're reading, on the intelligence side, Russia has to act with with Syrian forces, right, with mm-hmm. the cooperation of Syrian forces in order to carry out this mission, in order to, you know, use the Israeli intelligence and, you know, on the ground, so to speak, and finally discover where he is, where he is buried. And this is all being done, you know, at, at the, behind whose back, behind the, the back of the Palestinian refugee camp, or, in, in other words, what I'm trying to get at is if Russia and Syria are cooperating on this, and this is their effort, uh, the I mean, I would think, again, that if Syria is in charge, if Syria has this, if the leaders of Syria have the opportunity to turn them over if they wish, then then whose back are they going around in order to discover them, in order to, to use the Israeli intelligence to find them? Well, I mean, Russian troops are there. They're not really going behind anybody's back. They, they had to wait till ISIS was out of the refugee camp to go in, but they are doing it. Uh, I mean, without the Palestinians knowing, because they probably would resist it. Uh, and the they didn't just bring the remains of the one person. There were, I think, there were remains of about twenty who were taken out, and through various means of DNA testing, et cetera, they identified the remains of uh, Zachary Bamel. Um, but the the Putin, if you saw, took credit for this, which surprising and, and saying Russian troops risked their lives and whatever went in right. because it, it, it's uh, first of all the armor camp is a hotbed of, of internal strife and fighting both inside outside and uh, with divergent uh, groups within the camps the presence of Russian troops would have been noticed it was not something you could just do you know on the cover of night right and so this and was, that includes Syrian troops they, and, they as well they right? took Syrian troops right. as well that right. the reports I mean We'll wait to, as the details will no doubt filter out, but the, that's the story as we know it. Who were who are the other twenty? Do we know? I mean, are those Israeli soldiers? Who are they? Well, there were others who were killed in the battle at uh, Sultan Yaqub, but it hasn't been. Um, they have not been identified, as far as I know yet. All right, because we always it may not be just uh, Jewish. It could be that there were others who who were buried there, but in particular, we know that there were, I think, twenty twenty killed in the, in that battle. Before Thanks, we Adam. before we talk about the, the 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 cynical outlook about the you know the timing of this with the election on Tuesday, what what about the practical outlook? You know, someone like myself sits here and observes all this and hears the news, and and I can't get off of the theme that Israel is in such a a prominent political position right now in this world, and is so vital to world powers, i.e. Russia and others, is so vital to them that they will overextend themselves to do something like this for Israel. And because this was now discovered, the timing of it in that manner, because it was discovered now, I would argue never has Israel been 
in such a positive position like this. It, it, is is that the reality, or am I fooling myself that 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 Russia really did go out of its way to simply do a favor for Israel, and Israel is it, it, and the rest of the world is not at the feet of Israel to the degree that I think they are. Well, I don't think that the world is at the feet of Israel. I do think Israel's standing in the world has improved in the fact that Netanyahu was there and met with Putin this week after having had a meeting not that long ago. Um, uh, indicates that there is a, a, a close relationship, and yet on on a lot of key decisions, there still are tensions on the ground between uh, Russia and Israel. After, especially after the plane was taken down by Syrian forces, but Israel was blamed that Putin defended Israel in that instance, but against his own military, which which were very insistent on the charges and, and targeting Israel. Uh, obviously, the situation on the ground, it's not in Russia's interest to have the Iranians uh, develop. So what they do is for their own purposes and their own agenda within the region and within Syria to maintain their control and feel threatened as Iran is expanding rapidly its footprint across the thing, across the region, uh, in replacing populations, Sunni populations with Shiites in there, and, and doing it in a way that will give them permanent access and certainly control of the trans-nation uh, highway, uh, creating the, the Shiite crescent uh, across uh, Iraq, Syria, Lebanon, uh, from Tehran. So let me ask the question differently. Is Iran re- really angry? At, is Russia trying, is Russia using this opportunity to show Iran that they're ready to align with Israel when episodes like this happen? Do they do this specifically because they, they know that Iran is watching and when a gesture like this is made by Russia to Israel, it makes an impact on them? I, I don't know that that's the case. Uh, it's an interesting theory, but I don't know that... Um um, you know that that is part of, the, of their account on, in this regard. I think this is really between Israel and Russia. Uh, whether the, how the Iranians react or don't react to it is, is first of all, they haven't reacted yet, but we'll, right. we'll have to see. But the Russians have a, a very mixed relationship. It serves their purposes right now with Iran and Turkey, but they also know in the long run it's a negative for them. And for the what they want to do in terms of re, re, retaining their bases there and not having to invest uh, forces and not being responsible for the reconstruction. Actually, nobody wants to be responsible for the reconstruction, and nobody came forward with money when there was the appeal for the hundreds of billions you're going to need for uh, for Syrian um, to rebuild Syria. Uh, they couldn't even get a minimal amount uh, committed. So, you know, you can't look beyond the surface right now. We will. And know much more as things come out and see the reactions uh, to it. But th- this doesn't have strategic implications. You know, it doesn't change Iran's status in Syria. So it's of less concern to them at this moment. They have such tremendous economic challenges right now. They're fighting for their, their economic life. You know, the, the three of the eight countries that got the waivers that we discussed in the past to, to um, allow them to continue to receive oil have cut it already to zero. And the other five, the administration is pressing to go to zero. That, this means the 1.5 million barrels a day less that, that Iran is getting is $10 billion a year at a time when their currency is in free fall. They're, it's almost valueless. The the um, inflation rate is going to be seven. Some people say even double that percent. The um, 
they're blaming Europe now. They're attacking Europe and saying that rather than stopping the eco-terrorism, as they call U.S. policy, they're seeing them falling in line and, and going after Iran for what they call their defensive missile program. But as you know, the more and more information that has been leaking from the documents Israel took shows that they are building new facilities, that they are advancing their uh, program, and built an underground facility where they were doing testing. It's called uh, Project Midan. Uh, so the Iranians have so much on their plate right now that I don't know that, that the, the release of the body. Obviously, it's a big victory for Netanyahu in a sense. Uh, I don't think he'll politicize it. I think that the people of Israel are united on this across all the party lines. And the and, and generally, on these issues, security issues, there's not a big difference between blue and white and, and right. the Likud policy. Uh, when you sat with Assad, he understood the importance of Balmol to the Jewish people internationally? Well, uh, it went back and forth for a couple of years before I agreed to go, because I said the only condition on which I would go, and he had invited me, was if if they addressed this issue. And he said, then when I got there, he, they, they, you know, he sent the Arab diplomats who kept coming, and I kept showing the picture and saying he can't deny that he knows. But then it was advisable for me to go and confront him directly about it. And he discussed it openly with me. And as I said, he... Um, and if he gave you that, that somewhat cynical response... Then why well, cynical? I think in this case he may have been practical may response, have been real. But uh, but why is that so different than the Ellie Cohen response? Because they they look at Ellie Cohen as an embarrassment. Ellie Cohen's a completely different story. It was a huge issue. I mean, you had somebody who became very close to, to Assad's father, uh, had you know infiltrated the highest echelons of the Syrian government, was responsible for planting trees, you know, in the Golan that during the Six Day War enabled Israel to target. Right. And the facilities, uh, the personnel. Um, so that was that's seen in a very different light. And I met with Mrs. Uh, Cohen, and it remains a tragedy for the family not having the remains back and giving him Jewish kvur. Uh, but and Israel again, I think it's unfair for people to say that they've abandoned any of these causes. I know for sure that uh, that has not been the case, not of this government and not of some previous government. Um, yeah, and it's interesting to see her reaction to uh, to everything that happened this week with the Baumels. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio, around the world, the web, and AlchemSiegel.com, on the AlchemSiegel Network, and of course on the beloved NSN app. Um, I know, well, <laughs> you just said he probably won't politicize it, but... And I'm sorry for trumpeting the the cynic's view of what happened this week, but nonetheless, it is it is hard to avoid thinking that with the photo op that he enjoyed, um, and again, you know, I I, I understand that uh, that obviously there's a very serious element to what happened this week, and believe me, I'm not I'm not minimizing it, but you know, you just said the entire Jewish people were behind this cause, and he is the face of this cause now. He's the one who stood there with Putin, meaning Netanyahu. He's the one who stood there with Putin and accepted the remains and, and, and you know, and was at the funeral and, uh, you know, as prime minister. I, I just, you know, I, I, I hesitate, but I won't hesitate enough not to say it in terms of an April surprise, like we discussed last week's March surprise from Washington. I, I mean, the timing is, some would say, bizarre. So what would you say to those cynics who are, thinking about Tuesday's election when they see the prime minister standing there in 
Russia and then flying back with the remains of Zach Baumel? I'm not enough of a cynic to, to uh, right now, I think uh, we can celebrate the moment. As I said, I don't think he, he will. He, I think he'll be careful not to exploit it too, too blatantly. Obviously, there are benefits that inure to him by the release right now, as it did, the, you know, the visit with Putin and the visit with President Trump last week. Uh, who received him so well, and unfortunately he had to cut the trip short and, and go back because of the rockets. But um, you know, when you're the sitting prime minister, you, as any incumbent, has advantages. Right. Right. And they don't. they would be stupid not to to, to take it. Why would you delay it uh, You know, until after the election? Right. Whether they timed it for this, as I said, the opportunity came when ISIS was out of there. Beyond that, I don't know. The history books will have to tell us if if there's uh, something more. But there's such a full agenda, and the prime minister today has, aside from you know the personal challenges and the election, you know he's looking at a region where there isn't a stable country from the Mediterranean to um, to Turkey to Iran, right. Iraq, right? That's Syria, what, that, Le- Lebanon, Jordan. That Luke, is what. So, that's Egypt. what. That's what's so fascinating watching someone like Putin behave in a manner as if he really needs Israel. That's why it's not far-fetched to those who observe this election to say, you know, if Putin was voting in this election or if he had his preference, the likelihood is he'd want Netanyahu to continue as leader of Israel. Well, he met with him and meeting with him the week before an election. He understands the implications of it. And obviously they have a, a, a good relationship, something they understand by the way, he may not be far off from what the people of uh, the state of Israel believe, because well, the polls are, are you know the polls end today, so there's no more polling. But there's been a lot of last-minute rush of information and uh, data that has been coming in, and you see that the three polls, the three major polls, <laughs> didn't agree with each other at all. One had BB leading, one had uh, Blue and White leading, and we could leading, and then Blue and White leading, and one then had um, a four-seat difference. And, uh, you know, so the range is expanding and the uh, possibilities. There are 40 parties. There are at least a dozen that won't make the threshold and many others who, who are in danger of not make, making the threshold. The uh, Some of the polls, the one that showed labor with 12 seats, everybody else debunked it and said they're not going to get more than nine, eight, the, and the... Uh, it, it really, I believe that most people will make a decision once they go into the booth. There's a big undecided uh, group. There are campaigns to get specific target audiences to support different parties. The surprise of Fagelin with his uh, marijuana um, uh, legalization and uh, libertarian agenda, though, of course, he has a very, he's the right wing. But the key is not just looking at individual parties, but where the two blocks. And right now, it's clear that the right-wing bloc is, is ahead and that Netanyahu can cobble together um, and a, um, a coalition with more than 61 votes. But it will depend, A, on the numbers and what President Rivlin, who he gives the first opportunity to form a government. And the religious parties will be key in this as well. Many of them don't want to associate with uh, Lapid or have reservations with others. Um, and... You know, it it can bring a Lieberman and the religious parties, even though they're hotly contesting each other over issues not not for the same vote. 
Is so there it's a, ch- a complicated picture yet, and and we'll have to see how how it may not be even Tuesday night before we know. Is there a chance Lieberman does not make the threshold? Yes, there's a very good chance he does not make a threshold. Again, it depends on the turnout. Depends on whether the people are afraid of losing their vote. When you're very close to the 3.25 percent threshold and it's necessary, then when they go into the booth, they say, "If I if I vote for him and he doesn't get in, then I lose my vote." So I'd rather they would prefer to vote for someplace where it would matter and then may switch it. Others feel very connected and therefore will still vote and saying, you know, we can help put them over. There is very creative advertising, a lot of it, I think, not appropriate, but uh, uh, very creative this this, uh, election cycle. And it will be, um, you know, it's really... I think boiled down to Netanyahu. It's a it's a referendum on Netanyahu in many respects. It's Gantz versus Netanyahu. The other parties, you know, individuals don't seem to have emerged as very significant, although they're all campaigning and out there. Even Sar has defended uh, BB, and you see more unity in the Likud party. Um, the the polls show that the rotation idea between Gantz and and Lapid has hurt him in the election that uh, if it was gone so long that he would have done better. But again, you know, it's speculation on the part of, uh, you know, the the interpretation of the votes and what people, what the pollsters have uh, determined. So it's, it's, it's a fluid situation because it's a matter of numbers. You know, a few numbers here or there can make a big difference. But the left block, seeing the central left block getting uh, more than 61 right now, is a stretch, uh, and not only that, but if he play, if, if in fact Fagelin and the religious parties do as well as some think they will, then Netanyahu could end up with over seventy uh, votes, which, uh, seventy seats, which would be unbelievable. Uh, and what I said earlier about you know Putin having the same attitude as it seems the electorate has, um, it seems that people I don't know I mean we're six thousand miles away, but there's like a, it's, it, there seems to be a complacency um, that really there's nobody better or different enough from Netanyahu to to make another choice, and and that makes one wonder, if not for the indictments, would he be showing landslide numbers in these polls at this point? It's very possible. The indictments certainly hurt him, and uh, people don't know whether he'll be able to serve out the term. Will he be make a deal over it? You know, as again, that's why many say this is really BB running against BB right. uh, more than against the other parties, and that it becomes a test. There is a, you know, after so many years of people, young people especially, say they want something different. Uh, they don't believe that there's that vast a difference between uh, blue and whites, um, certainly on the security, on foreign policy issues. There doesn't seem to be uh, a big difference, and Gantz has learned to speak, but the, again, many of them are making mistakes and, and saying things that get them into trouble, uh, which is not unusual in Israel. It's uh, more the norm than the <laughs> exception in, in the Israeli campaigns. And then they try to be, um, let's say, very creative. But, um, uh, you know, when Gantz, the headline today that he hopes that Putin is not working for Netanyahu and that Trump isn't working for Netanyahu, it, it hurts them. He knows because when you're the incumbent, as is true here, you have a lot of advantages. You create the agenda. You can do things that uh, others campaigning can't to get the headlines. 
And, you know, when Pompeo came to Israel and uh, when they see the situation in Lebanon where Pompeo warned the Lebanese against this new factory for precision missiles, for guidance systems for missiles, and the uh, U.S. consistently coming down and, uh, and certainly the recognition of the Golan, the U.S.-Israel relationship is very important to Israelis. They get it. And if they think there's a hostile relationship with somebody, I think it would be hard for them. Um, and then we see also that the F-35 is not going to Turkey. This is very important because it leaves Israel with its F-35s uh, unique in the region, and, and the fear that they could be used by others or fall into other hands or, be, or what Turkey might do in the future uh, with them. Everything has uh, has significance, and especially because Turkey is the maintenance center and repair center for Europe for the F-35s. Um, and we've stopped already the equipment, and it looks like we won't sell them the F-35s as long as they're buying the S-400 systems from um, uh, from Russia. And they look also at the situation in Gaza and the PA, where we see uh, a lot more and more instability. The PA is only paying half of the salaries of people, not allowing now Palestinians anymore. There are 50,000 a year who go to Israeli hospitals in the West Bank and Gaza. Now they're saying you have to go to Jordan and Egypt, which will create more tension within it, uh, the, the, the areas under their control. Uh, and the uh, obviously the situation in Gaza has not improved and does not improve um, and you have more and more resentment about it. There's so many issues, and they get overshadowed sometimes in political campaigns. But Israelis are aware. You know, they know what's going on. They're much more so, let's say, than most Americans are about our security situations and and threats to to American troops or American uh, national interests. So the the um, um, and the instability in the region, which is what why I mentioned it before. Mm-hmm. You can't look at Israel in isolation when you, you literally Jordan is in real serious problems. When the Bedouins start, or the most loyal troops to the king, start protesting and mentioning him and talking him by name, when you, you see some of the other, um, uh, virtually every country is unstable except for Israel in the region. And uh, I mean, Iran may be, may be relatively uh, stable. But I think that the regime could be in big trouble, and the same with Turkey, as the election in Turkey showed, when he lost Ankara and Istanbul and I think 37 other cities, the main urban areas, went against Erdogan and his uh, his party. And now I have to see what what he'll do. You know, he has a history of replacing those mayors and taking unilateral actions that will undo the election result. But he can't ignore, and even said so publicly, the the message. It's primarily an economic message, but the same message is emanating from Iran, which is why we have to keep the sanctions, and the U.S. announcing that there will be more is very important. And what I referenced about the countries that have uh, cut back um, on the, those who had the waivers are already uh, cutting back. The economic situation inside the country, which, now, which after the floods of recent weeks now had earthquakes, and of course, they blame the United States for blocking aid and stuff, which is certainly not true. And um, we'll, we'll have to see. But the administration certainly has, um, has stood with Israel, and that is a big advantage to any candidate. Did the visit of the uh, Brazilian president have any pre-election impact? Uh, well, it shows that uh, Israel is open to more and more countries. As you know, South American countries would generally 
not his home. The prime minister visited there, the first prime minister, sitting prime minister to do so. And uh, we still have a very mixed situation. A lot depends on what happens in Venezuela. If the fall of the Maduro government would make a big difference. Uh, Iran's, um, it's the fulcrum of Iran's activities throughout South America, which are vast, and tens of thousands of agents working there. But and so Bolsonaro's visit, he is a very religious uh, evangelical and has talked about Israel, but he did not announced the opening of an embassy, as he had promised during the campaign, but instead an, an economic interest uh, section or, or this, uh, office that will function in Jerusalem. It's an important step towards uh, uh, an embassy, but it is not the embassy that people had expected, and he had to cut short his visit for some reason. Uh, but again, Israel it shows Netanyahu with world leaders, and many of them arriving, uh, from all over African countries, the Bolsonaro, others who who have been there in recent weeks, uh, only bolsters his image as uh, an important player on the world stage. By the way, how soon after Tuesday could the president of Israel ask the prime minister or whomever he chooses to form a government? I think he has seven days. That, that sticks in my head. To he he'll meet he generally what they do is they meet with all the parties and ask them what their preference is. And it's not, so again, it's not just the absolute return of any one party, unless one is so overwhelming. Um, but it, uh, you know, and his relationship with Netanyahu is not good. So there's a lot of speculation that he would, and Netanyahu has, has said it, that he would turn to um, another party, to Blue and White or somebody to form the government. Uh, I don't think that that will be the case if the numbers you know, present themselves. He's um, uh, he has said that that he he would uh, look at it objectively. But the tensions between him and the prime minister have been have grown only worse over time. So <clears throat> I think he has up to a week to designate a party. Then the party that they designate is given um, I think 30 days. They have two chances, but after that, it automatically goes to another party or. If none of them can form a coalition, then it would they would go back to another election. But that's unlikely. I think you will get a coalition and um, by one side or the other. If if Netanyahu can't, then Gantz and, and his parties will will try to do it. So next week when we speak, we'll certainly be able to do the math. We just may not have an official declaration yet from the president of who's going to be invited to form the government. You may not have that, but I think pretty much you'll know. You may not know on Tuesday night, as I said, because you have so many small parties to know who's going to cross the threshold. You know, 3.25, it it sounds like very little, but it means four seats. So you have uh, at least a dozen parties that are teetering on on the brink and may not make it. All right. Uh, You know I've spent a lot of time and we've discussed – how Baruch Hashem, where we are witnessing this incredible role that Israel now has in the world, and you know, again, for anybody who's over a certain age, it's and uh, they appreciate the miracle. For those of us who are literally living through it, we don't always see the miracle from within uh, when we're watching it from this vantage point. But you get my point, and it's and it's just incredible in the context of Jewish history to see what's going on and the position that Israel enjoys politically. At the same time, Malcolm. Uh, Israel Apartheid Week at Columbia University, swastikas in Brooklyn, uh, Jews worship the devil flyers on cars in California, Rashida Talib 
not hesitating at all to associate and to take pictures with open anti-Semites. Drivers in Europe refusing to take Jews. Those drivers, thank God, were removed by the car-sharing company, but just the, the nerve to go ahead and make a declaration like that. So now with this incredible dichotomy of Israel enjoying the position that it has and the respect that it has, and at the same time, anti-Semites, including on Ivy League campuses, um, feeling very comfortable with their point of view and stating that point of view publicly. How would you say we reconcile this, and what can you tell people who have to fight these battles literally on the front? So we have to—the the number of incidents is, is staggering. The, um, we had yesterday an incident at Kingsborough Community College, which has become a hotbed against— Professor Goldberg uh, and and uh, Goldstein and yesterday against uh, Jeff Lax, professor in, uh, there, where you have a hostile faculty group, not even students, the students as well, but <laughs> faculty group that harassed and and uh, um, I don't know if they assaulted him, but they certainly physically harassed him and endangered him. That at Columbia at NYU, in fact, we are having a meeting this week at NYU of the conference with students who have tales of horror that they talk about and that many students cannot or fear wearing a yarmulke or a mug and david or on, on New York campuses. We're not talking about in isolated areas. And uh, together with the Chelsea Football Club, which has taken lead internationally in fighting anti-Semitism as in sports, but also in other areas, um, they are involved with this. We're doing an event at NYU huh. uh, because we're trying to bring the message to campus. We have uh, some courageous president, the president of Fitzer College, uh, Andy Oliver, uh, who has stood against the students' uh, resolution, and now the students are organizing, or the anti-Israel forces are organizing to try and remove him for it. The, the, um, we saw it at the Duke and uh, University of North Carolina, I think, together did a, a horrific seminar, showed eight pro-Palestinian films, and, and all the speakers were, were one-sided, and using university money. Uh, at the University of Michigan, uh, they had, they had uh, extremists from South Africa coming there, you know, pushing the apartheid message week, apartheid message, and, you know, this is the annual apartheid, uh, uh, you know, ex- exaggeration period mm-hmm. where they do events on, on campuses. And you add to that then the rise of anti-Semitic incidents, uh, which is uh, beyond what people know, because sometimes they dismiss some of the incidents as so much goes unreported, and then if it gets reported, it's not reported as a hate crime. But we have seen the sharp increase in the number of hate crimes. We see legislation in Congress uh, addressing it because there's a, a universal recognition that the problem is getting more and more serious. We already see it in Europe, and I have to credit the Lawfare Project. Um, this week went to the courts about the anti-Shita legislation, and it got referred to the European Court of Justice, which could either overthrow them or, God forbid, substantiate them and, and sustain them, and we will be in a much worse situation. But the um, you know, the administration has three people uh, dedicated to, to religious and other freedom. Um, Ken Marcus, who will be coming to New York next week, who is, works at the Department of Education, focusing on anti-Semitism, looking at curriculum, looking at domestic anti-Semitism. Um, Congress on both sides of the aisle have, uh, have taken it up, but we still see them appearing People appearing with anti-Semites, appearing with uh, people who are who are hostile and making 
uh, comments. I heard just this morning earlier a report, uh, supposedly from the West Bank, on a public radio station. It was just horrific. It was totally one-sided and and horrific. And that is poisoning the minds of, of young people and of others, mostly basing it on the ignorance and, in, unfortunately, even in our own community. And we have... Um, you know, we have to take it much more seriously. And, and also to give the good news, you know, that yesterday at the Ad Vashem dedication, five German companies each gave a million euros to uh, to build a new center where you'll have documentation from 131,000 survivor testimonies and half a million photographs and other things. Um, and we've seen also where uh, people who have courageously stood up, uh, the president of Cornell, People have to write them, have to show them, and those who are graduates of the universities or have ties to them or to those who donate to these universities, we've got to bring the message home. Many times people are not sensitive to it, and yet now we are seeing physical assaults against Jews. As you mentioned, the, the Brooklyn statistic, but it's it's true many places around the country, and we have to... Um, Take it far more seriously, and we're, we have exercises in Washington this week with the Department of Homeland Security and Jewish leadership. Too. Oh, and by the way, you mentioned to me off the air, we, gotta, we have to be sympathetic to some of the students who are having trouble staying on these college campuses and, and undergoing all of this pressure. And campuses that we never even knew had problems. I was speaking in one place, and a, a young woman had returned from Wellesley to come home because she said she couldn't take it. And not a particularly activist uh, student, but... Uh, coming from a committed Jewish family, could not take it. And the, I think that this is true, much more true than, than people know, and the number of incidents is far greater than people realize. And, and you know, we, go, we, we read about something, then we go on with life uh, as usual. And I think we have to be much more adamant, and if a, if a Kingsborough Community College can, can have this kind of activities on its campus, and there are lawsuits and other things being filed to to try and address it, but you know, it shouldn't. It shouldn't even be a thought. It shouldn't even be something that is in any way tolerated, especially when government funds are involved in these institutions. Yeah, Malcolm, I thank you. Have a wonderful Shabbos, and we will speak Bezrat Hashem next week. God willing, have a good Shabbos and a good Chodesh, and uh, it should be the month of redemption for all of us. Amen. And oh, I'm so glad you said that, and I thank Malcolm for his words. I'm so glad Malcolm just said that. A week from now is uh, Shabbos HaGadol, Shabbat HaGadol. May I please encourage all rabbis, all great rabbinic leaders, to utilize the custom of the lecture of Shabbat HaGadol, the Shabbos HaGadol Drosha, to address important national issues to the Jewish people. I know there are many, many important halachic issues. I know that there are many areas of uh, halachic minutia, not to... Uh, minimize it, but sometimes the de- I should say halachic details, that would be a better way of saying it, halachic details that need to be reviewed, especially before a holiday, and very often the uh, the drusha is used for that purpose, and I understand that. Uh, but in this time that we are witnessing uh, what the state of Israel means uh, to us as a Jewish people and to the world, and with the position that Israel is enjoying at this moment in the world, and with the role we can have in making that go even further. Essentially, as you might suspect, what I have in mind is that the future of the Jewish people is in the state of Israel. And during this month of Geula, during this month of redemption that Malcolm just alluded to, 
I would recommend that all the rabbinic leaders out there try very hard to incorporate into your discussions, especially Shabbos HaGadol, with all your discussions about Pesach and the month of Nisan, some type of message to your constituents about the national message of Eretz Yisrael and the future of the Jewish people being there. Let's not make the mistake that was made too often in Jewish history to uh, have the opportunity to grow the land, and in this case, the state of Israel, and not take advantage of it. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos at 27 minutes after 8 o'clock. Rabbi Yudin is uh, standing by, and this is an opportunity for me to again say Mazal Tov to Rabbi Mrs. Yudin. Sunday night, they will be uh, honored at the 50th anniversary tribute for uh, Congregation Shomrei Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey. Looking forward to the big event. Go to yudintribute.org for information, yudintribute.org. This time each every Friday, every Erev Shabbos, with great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Yudin, spiritual leader of Congregation Shomrei Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Yudin. Good morning, Nachum. Good Erev Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Parshas Tazria. According to the Chinuch, Parshas Tazria contains seven mitzvos, five positive and two restrictions. Let's not forget, tomorrow we have the schus, the privilege of taking out of the Aron three Sifrei Torah, one of those Shabbos Kodak moments. First one, Parshas Tazria. Second one, tomorrow is Rosh Chodesh Nisan. And so we read from the second Torah, that of Rosh Chodesh. And the third one is, tomorrow is the last of the four special parshios that span from Ador to Nisan, and we have tomorrow, Parshas HaChodesh. I'd like to speak a little bit about the significance of the mitzvah of Mila, circumcision, found in the third Pasuk of this week's parsha, Uvayom Hashmini, Imo Besar Orloso. Just an interesting point to know that the Rambam, in his commentary on the Mishnah in the seventh chapter of Chulin, there points out that we observe circumcision, Brismila, today because of this Pasuk here, namely that after Sinai, this puzzle was given to us, and while we do learn from that which is written in Lech Lecha regarding Mila, which we'll come back to in a few moments, the mitzvah that we practice today stems from this week's parsha. Now, I'd like to call to your attention a famous medrash in the Tanchuma, in Tazria, paragraph Hey, five, whereby it's brought down that the Roman philosopher Tunis Rufus Harusha asked Rabbi Akiva, well, whose actions are nicer, that of Hashem or that of man? So Rabbi Akiva understood already where he was going, and so he said the actions of man. Wait a minute. Asked Ternus Rufus, why do you 
circumcised. Rabbi Kiva said, I knew that was your question, and therefore what does he do? He brings kernels of wheat, and he puts them next to a plate of cookies and cake, and he says, I ask you, which is nicer? So similarly, we have that just as man takes the raw material of the wheat and transforms it into cake and breads, so too the man completes the um, creation. Now, asked Rebbe, asked Tunis Rufus, why does not man emerge circumcised? And Rebbe Kiva answered him, take a look. After all, the baby comes out with the umbilical cord still attached, and we cry as requires the mother to cut it. Similarly, we have the mitzvah of circumcision, and the mitzvahs are litzarev osam bahem. The purpose of the mitzvahs, litzarev, which comes from Tehillim 18, Imras Hashem Tzarufa, the The promise of Hashem is flawless, and Tsurufa is understood by our rabbis as to purify and to refine. In essence, what Tunis Rufus was asking was, does God need man's help? After all, why doesn't he do it himself? And Rabbi Kiva's answer is, that the mitzvos are not primarily for God, the mitzvos are for man. And therefore, Tunis Rufus, who was a disciple of his great-great-grandfather, Esav, who according to the Dazakanim, Mibale Tosvos, in Parshas Toldos, because as the Torah says, Vayetzehorishon Admoni, the first of the twins, came out red, according to the Dazakanim, Yitzchak did not circumcise Esav at birth because of his complexion color red. And later on, Esav refused, believing, as is his name, that he is a sui. He's complete. He doesn't need any more completion, perfection. And the Chinuch in the second mitzvah regarding circumcision tells us that man was not born, created complete, but as Mila completes his body, so too is man to refine his character. And therefore, it's interesting to note, points out, the Sefer Talmudo Biodo by Horav Yerachmiel Krom from Eretz Yisrael something very interesting that we find regarding most of creation 
the Torah uses the term Kitov. Vayaralukim, God saw that it was good. You find this after the first day, you find this after the animals, not so regarding man, because man has to refine his nature from his innate animalistic desires. The early Satma Rebbe, Rev Moshe Teitelbaum Satsal, the author of the Yismach Moshe, explains why the Torah uses the term Na'aseh Adam, let us make man. After all, we are not to believe, God forbid, we know there's only Hashem Echad, one God. Who is the Na'aseh? Who is us? And he answers that it means Hashem with the help of man, that man has the ability that just as he perfects the natural world, Hashem produces the wheat, and he then takes it and ten steps to the finished product, so too does man, as he processes flax and brings it into fibers, and threads don't grow on the back of the sheep and wool and suits don't grow on the back of the sheep, right? Why not that the fields would produce white bread, rye bread, whole wheat? Why doesn't that grow in the field? And the answer is, as we say in the Kiddush tonight, Asheboro Elohim, God rested on the Shabbos from all which he had created, La'asos, for man to finish. And therefore, the Gemara in Chagiga Yudbeis says as follows, What does it mean, Ani, Kael Shakai? I am God with the name Shakai, Shin Dalid Yud. It means Ani She'omarti Le'olami Dai. I said enough to the world, meaning that according to Reb Yonason Eipschitz, in his Teferis Yonason, when it means that nature wanted to expand, it means that nature didn't want to stop just bringing wheat. Nature wanted to produce the bread. But Hashem said, stop, this is for man. And therefore, when Hashem reveals Himself to Avram Avinu, and tells him about the mitzvah of brismila, circumcision, Hashem introduces himself as Ani, Kael Shakai, at the beginning of chapter 17 in Bereshis. And what's happening there was Hashem was answering the question of Tunis Rufus. Why was man not created circumcised? And the answer is for man to complete the job, to finish himself, and... There, the mitzvos of Hashem is what completes the individual. And just as man completes his body, right, so too he is to complete his character, his neshama. Very interesting. I want you to realize that there is 
wisdom to all the various minhagim that we do. Tonight, when we make the Hamotzi, why do we have two chala? Lechem Mishnah. The man came down twice as much on Friday as it did during the rest of the week. In addition, there's the minhag that we hold and we put our ten fingers on top of the challah. Why so? So the Shulchan Aruch in Simon Kuf Samach Zayin paragraph Zayin says the following that there are ten mitzvos that the Jew observed prior to his producing the bread, beginning with the prohibition of not to plow with an ox and a donkey, and going on to the second one, which is that of don't mate one animal with another species. Going on to the third, which is leket, if when gathering the grain, if one or two ears fall to the ground, the farmer is to leave it for the poor. The fourth one is shikha. If the farmer forgets a bundle in the field, he leaves it for the poor. And the fifth one is peah, leaving a corner of the field for the poor. And the sixth one is that of Bikurim, that from the produce he brings the first fruit, including the shiras haminim, the wheat and the barley, to the base hamigdash to be given to the Kohen. And the seventh is that of Truma, the portion which is given to the Kohen. And the eighth is Maiserishon, the tithe, which is given 10% to Mr. Levy. And the ninth is Maiser Shani, in the first and second, fourth and fifth year, brought to Yerushalayim. And finally, the mitzvah of Hafrasha Schala. The Jew not only enjoys his Chala on Shabbos, but the Jew, by putting his fingers on, it says, how privileged I am that in order to get this challah, we were blessed with ten mitzvos and the privilege of observing these ten mitzvos. Some say, because there are ten words in the bracha of Hamotzi, and some say because of the ten words in the pasuk, all turn, yearn to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and you give them achlam, their food be eaten in its appropriate time. This is what it means to develop our soul. This is Parshas HaChodesh. This is the second, the third reading, but the reading of Hishadshus, whereby our rabbis understand HaChodesh HaZelochem. This month is for you, not simply the Jewish calendar, but that the Jewish people are to renew themselves annually, always looking for a greater means of getting closer to Hashem, emulating Hashem, and I recommend that you take a look in Medrash Rabbah, chapter 15, 
paragraph 24, which talks about, interestingly, the bracha for Kiddush HaChodesh, right? Kiddush Levana, which we do on the, within the first two weeks of the new month. The first opinion is that of what we say. What's the bracha? <clears throat> the first opinion is Mechadesh Chadashim. The second, which is what we say, the second opinion is Mekadesh Chadashim. The third opinion is Mekadesh Yisrael. And the Medrash goes on to say, don't be perplexed at that possibility that God sanctifies Israel. It's because he sanctified us that we have the capacity to sanctify time and ourselves. What a powerful, powerful lesson this is that we recognize that circumcision on the eighth day is the beginning. And that's what we say, just as the baby entered into the covenant of circumcision, man having the ability to sanctify throughout his life. Good Shabbos and a good Chodesh to all. Yeah.
From a Shabbat in Liverpool here at JM and the AM, that's, of course, Lenny Solomon and Schlockrock. I want to thank Rabbi Yudin and congratulate Rabbi and Mrs. Yudin. The uh, big tribute dinner is this coming Sunday night, 50 years at Shomri Torah in Fairlawn, and 50 years affecting not only the Fairlawn community but influencing the Jewish community worldwide. Mazal tov to the Yudins. Uh, information about the event and information about supporting the cause, it's yudintribute.org, yudintribute.org. We encourage everybody to participate in that uh, remarkable and incredible um, tribute dinner coming up on Sunday. Friday morning, it's Erev Shabbos, Parshas Tazria, Parshas Chodesh, Rosh Chodesh Nisan starts tonight. It's uh, candlelighting at 7.04, 7.04 candlelighting time on this Erev Shabbos. Um, we'll do all the Cholomoyed information next week, of course, as we get closer and closer to those big events, Rosh Chodesh Nisan obviously tomorrow. Uh, I want to thank Aaron's Casino Farms and remind everybody that Aaron's in uh, Queens, Aaron's Casino Farms in Queens, has the big Passover mega store, and it's a mega store, all right. Uh, for all your Pesach needs, check it out. Um, those of you in West Orange, New Jersey, and the surrounding areas, remember 4% off on your purchases. Excuse me, 4% of your purchases between now and Pesach if you use your Kushner loyalty card goes to the Kushner schools at Aaron's in West Orange, New Jersey, so keep that in mind, certainly. And um, they have the most amazing produce, incredible sushi department, uh, delicious fresh meat, wonderful takeout. It's all there at Aaron's in West Orange, New Jersey. Check them out over the next couple of weeks as we get closer and closer to the holiday of Pesach. Um, Here's a song that I think fits right into an Erev Rosh Chodesh Theme comes from your Achmiel Begun and the Miami Boys Choir at JM in the AM.
For an Erev Rosh Chodesh Nisan, Yala Yavo here at JM in the AM. Candle lighting in New York, 7.04 on this Erev Rosh Chodesh. Three Torahs tomorrow, as you know, as we get set for a very special Shabbos Parshas Tazria, Parshas HaChodesh, and Rosh Chodesh. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos, time to say good Shabbos with Journeys at JM in the AM.
brothers and sisters in Israel. We are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio around the world on the web and NachumSegal.com and the NachumSegal Network and, of course, in the beloved NSN app. Ah, yes, yes, yes. That wraps up an amazing week for us here at JM in the AM. Don't forget, Matt, this hosts JM Sunday this coming Sunday morning between 7 and 11 a.m. Keep that in mind. That's happening between 7 and 11 this coming Sunday. It's not 7 11, 7 and 9, 7 a.m. <laughs> 7 a.m. Eastern Time this coming Sunday. Avrami tomorrow night with Saturday Night Seagull. Naomi Nachman is next with Table for Two. Mark Zamek, the Arab Shabbos Show, brought to you by wonderful people at Kedem. That's happening. And, of course, the uh, Erev Shabbos music mix all the way until candlelighting time brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. It's one of the reasons we are recommending that you keep it on NSN all day long. There are rumors flying about other possible very big news coming out of Israel. I will not say anything at this point, but pay careful attention to the news from Israel over the weekend, everybody. I can tell you that much. Have a fabulous Shabbos, wonderful weekend till uh, Monday. Nahum Segal reminding you, remember to pass, live the present, and trust the future.